Right, well, it is just such a joy to be back with you guys again. And uh, I, I look forward to this, not only just to be able to celebrate child dedication and that we get to do that, but um, just to see what God is doing here in the community in Byron Center. Um, my name is Brian. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, if you're new here, I'm the lead pastor of the Zero Collective, this network of churches that um, we get to do uh, life together with. And so um, just to see you guys moving into this facility and then the 15 year anniversary that just happened uh, for this church. What an incredible thing. And so uh, today I, I'm excited that I get to be able to start this new series with you called House of Prayer. And technically we actually started this series already on Thursday night. So Thursday night we had uh, at Frontline Church, another uh, sister church in the Zero Collective, we had a worship night uh, for prayer and worship. And it was just a powerful gathering together. I know some of you in this room were there for that. Um, and if you're watching online, um, uh, we're, we're just starting the series today, looking at prayer and looking at how can we begin to, to dive into what God has for us in this season. And so that's the name House of Prayer actually comes from something that Jesus said. So in Matthew 21, Jesus, in a, one of the most dramatic moments in his ministry, he goes into the temple there in Jerusalem and he begins to overthrow the tables of the money changers uh, some gospel accounts actually say that he used a whip, that he drove them out with a whip. And um, in this very dramatic moment, he quotes Isaiah 56, 7, the prophet Isaiah, and he declares, my house is intended to be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so the question is, why did Jesus do this? Uh, why was he so passionate? Why was he so fired up that he did this? And the reason is because the Jewish leaders there at the temple had commercialized the need for prayer and for worship. And so if you look at the prayer and the, and the sacrificial system that happened, uh, they had commercialized it. So here on the screen behind me, this is a picture of the temple in Jerusalem at this time. And so you see where it says court of the Gentiles. That's where this event took place, where Jesus drove the money changers out. And essentially, uh, if you were um, going, uh, part of the worship of Israel at this time, if you were a Gentile, so a non-Jewish person, so if I didn't grow up in a Jewish family, if I, didn't, uh, if I was a convert to Judaism as a Gentile person, that is the farthest I could go in the temple. That's the only place I could go and connect with God in prayer and for sacrifices was right there in the court of the Gentiles. And so what's happening in this moment is, let's say like I'm a Gentile convert and I've got to travel and maybe I'm a poor person. And so I have to travel a long way to get to the temple in Jerusalem. And so because of that, there are live animals that are needed for the sacrifices. And I, if I'm traveling from a great distance, I probably can't bring them with me. So when I get to the temple, I have to acquire some live animals. And so the Jewish leaders said, you know what? We can help you with that. We can help you Gentiles with that for a price. We can help you. And then if, if I'm traveling from a long way, I probably, if I want to give an offering at the temple, I probably don't have the correct currency that's used at the temple. And so I would need someone to change my money. And so that's what the money changers were. They were changing currency. And so people could give an offering and the Jewish leader said, Hey, no problem. We can help you Gentiles with that for a price. And so that's what Jesus is reacting to in this moment. The, 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 the Jewish leaders had actually put up like barriers to people coming and entering in and worshiping. And so the question we're asking here at this first week of this series, House of Prayer, uh, is this question, in what ways does Jesus want to overturn the commercialization of our spiritual lives? If Jesus came into our world today, what tables would he want to overturn? How does Jesus want to overturn the, com the commercialization of our spiritual lives? 
And so this series is really significant for us. Um, John and myself and the other pastors in the Zero Collective, we've had some time uh, just working through this series as, as it's being preached at all the churches. And what we've kind of realized is um, we need to begin with us and just begin with kind of a, a statement of repentance. And so honestly, I don't think we've maybe valued prayer uh, in our world and in our churches, especially over the last 20 months or so, in the way that I think God would have us do that. And that's coming from the top, from the leader, uh, just saying, I think God is calling us back to a place of prayer and dependence on him. What we do oftentimes is we use prayer as a transition, right? So like we, we pray kind of when we've got to move into offering or we pray uh, between songs or whatever. And that's not wrong. That's not bad to, to use prayer as a transition. We use, I think it's a good thing to acknowledge God. You know, any, you know, we pray right before a meal, we're about to transition into a meal. That's not a bad thing to do. But if that's the only time we pray, if the only time we pray is kind of in a transition between one activity to another, how are we supposed to develop this deep dependence on God in our lives? How are we supposed to do that in prayer if we, if we never learn how to pray in a better way, in a more uh, deep way? And so that's what we're doing here today. And that's what we're doing with this series is we're saying, um, God, would you show us how to pray again? Would you show us how to develop dependence on you in our prayer lives? So I'll illustrate it uh, this way as we talk about like an approach to prayer. It's the first snow of the year. How many people are excited that it's the first snow of the year? How many people are like super depressed that it's the first snow of the year? Way more hands are up for that second one. <laughs> I have a good friend named Terry. Terry actually serves in the tech booth at, at Frontline Church. He and I have been friends for years and years. And he told me this awesome story about um, years and years ago when he was in high school. What his high school buddies would do is um, one year there was this, this huge snowstorm and it was freezing cold outside. And so there's all this snow on the ground. So what he and his buddies decided to do is they decided to drive around in a car going through different neighborhoods looking for snowmen that they could destroy late at night. So this is what they're doing. They're driving around in their car. This is like high school jerks, you know what I mean? And they go through this neighborhood and it, it's nighttime and they drive by and there's this really nice house with a snowman that's built right out by the road. And so they stop the car and one of Terry's friends gets out and he goes, okay, th this one's me. And so he runs full tilt right at the snowman and just football tackles the snowman and just obliterates it, just destroys the snowman all over. And all the guys in the car laugh, ha ha, this is funny. He jumps back in the car and they drive off. Okay, two nights later, same group of guys, they're driving through the same neighborhood, they drive by the same house, and to their surprise, somebody has rebuilt this snowman. I mean, literally, they rebuilt it just the same way as it was. It had the coal eyes and the little mittens on the stick, hands, you know, and everything. And so they stop the car again, and this time my friend Terry says, okay, it's my turn. And so he gets out of the car, and he assumes the position to run and football tackle this snowman. Now, what my friend Terry does not know is that the people who rebuilt this snowman the second time made a strategic move. <laughs> it looks the same. There's no spotlight. There's no, nothing's out there. Nobody's guarding it. But apparently what these people had done is they had taken multiple buckets of water and dumped it on the snowman. <laughs> so the snowman looks the same. He looks just like a snowman, but actually he is a pure block of ice that is fixed to the ground. It's more like a, you know, like a brick wall than it is a snowman. And so my friend Terry runs at the snowman full tilt and the snowman tackles him to the ground. All the guys in the car laugh again, but it's for a totally different reason this time, right? And I tell you that story because that's, 
that's kind of what prayer can be in our lives. There, there are two ways you can protect your snowman, right? One is to make your snowman safer. The other is to make your snowman stronger. There, there are two ways to protect your snowman. You can make your snowman safer. You can put a spotlight motion detector out there. You can build a fence around the snowman. You, you can get a guard dog. You can do things to make it safer. Or you can simply pour multiple buckets of water on your snowman and you can make your snowman stronger. When we have a deep dependence on God in prayer, it doesn't make us safer. Prayer doesn't make us safer from the things that are running at us to tackle us in life. But what prayer has the ability to do when we really turn to, to Jesus in prayer is it has the ability to make us stronger, to, to give us a resiliency that doesn't come from our own flesh, from our own abilities or our own power to overcome the things that are running at us in this world. And so here's the statement I, I would make if you want to go to that next slide. What we need in our lives is not a safer Christianity, but a strength that can only come from an abiding relationship with Jesus in prayer. What we really need in our lives is not safer religion, a safer religion or a safer Christianity, but a strength that can only come from an abiding relationship with Jesus in prayer. And here's the good news this morning. Jesus actually wants to give you that. He actually does want to answer that prayer. And so the question then is how do we experience this? How do we experience this in prayer? How do we approach God in prayer in such a way that we can experience that? So if you want to go to that next slide, um, there's two things that we need to do. We're going to look at two passages of scripture, and we're going to talk about two moves we make uh, when we approach God in prayer. Okay, so the first one is this. The first thing we do is we need to come to God and we need to examine our broken wells. We got to examine our broken wells. Now you say, what do you mean? What does that mean? Examine our broken wells. This is Jeremiah 2, verse 13. It says this. It's the, God is speaking through the prophet uh, Jeremiah to the people of Israel, and, and God says this. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cistern. Cistern is like a well. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So God says two, two sins the people have committed. They've turned away from me, the spring, the fountain of living water, and they've turned to their own devices, essentially. They've turned to, the, to broken wells, wells that cannot hold water. So what, what does it mean? What, what does that mean to turn to a broken well that can't hold water? Uh, what, it, what the passage is referring to there is any way that we look to human solutions first in order to meet our spiritual needs. In order to meet our ultimate needs, what we do is, is oftentimes is we turn and we look to our own human solutions first. That's where we go first. And the prophet Jeremiah, God is speaking, he just says, those are broken wells. They can't hold water. They can't ultimately satisfy the deepest needs of our lives. Even religion can be a dry well. Even Christianity, the religion of it, can be a dry well that we run to where we just go through the motions, we check the boxes, you know, kind of the, the spiritual boxes, but we don't have that deep and abiding relationship with God through, you know, through a relationship with Jesus. I have a friend named Greg Dempster. He leads a ministry called, um, called uh, Christ Life. And he talks about uh, these four common wells oftentimes that we draw from in our lives. It's a, and, and when he's dealing with people, what he talks about is how most of us have no clue really the extent to which we, we try to live independently from God. 
that we, that we try to basically kind of say, God, I've got this. I'm going to fix this in my own strength. I, and we dig our own wells. And so what happens is when things go well in our lives, we kind of congratulate ourselves and we say, well, look what I did. This is because of, you know, how good a person I am or how hard I've worked. And then what happens is when things don't go well in our lives and things kind of fall apart, then we beat ourselves up emotionally because we think it's all on us. We think that everything that happens is because of us. And so uh, my friend Greg talks about these four common wells we draw from to fix our lives. Go ahead if you could to those. The first one is work harder. The second one is wear a better mask. So I basically just polish the outside and make it look good on the outside. Um, the third one is use people as a means to our own end. So instead of loving people or, or leading people well, we use people as a means to our own end. And then the fourth one is we use Jesus as a means to our own end. That fourth one uh, usually is what grabs everyone's attention. How in the world do you use, aren't we supposed to be using Jesus? You know, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? But, but what actually can happen here is we can actually begin to use Jesus and actually to strengthen our independence from God. Jesus will never invest in helping us strengthen our independence from him. But what he wants us to learn how to do is he wants us to learn how to come to him as the ultimate source of our strength. So he doesn't want to help you carry things that you were never designed to carry. And so that you can kind of say, look at this, I'm strong, I carried it. He wants us to come to him. We don't use Jesus as a means to our own end. We have to come to him. Now, those are four, uh, those are four common wells. But a well, maybe uh, those don't resonate with you. A well can be anything. Any way that we seek a human solution to fix an ultimate need, a spiritual need in our lives. So, uh, you know, a, a well can be food. Food isn't, you know, bad. We, we have to eat food to live. But food can actually become kind of a well that we run to. Um, alcohol can become a well. Pornography can become a well. It's anything that we look to fix uh, our, in our own human solutions, something that is ultimately something that only Jesus can use. And so that's what we have to do. We have to, the first step is we have to examine our broken wells. Jesus' word for this, when he came, his message was repent. That's what he called people to do, to repent. Repenting is when we, it literally means you're going this direction and you turn around and you go this direction. That's what the word repent means. But what are we repenting of? Essentially what we're repenting of is not just bad things, but anything, that, any well that we've dug, any way that we try to meet our own needs and our own strength independently from God, that's what we're repenting of. So when we come to God in prayer, what we're doing is we're lifting up and we're examining our broken wells and saying, these wells don't work ultimately, Jesus. And I've been running to these I've been trying to use these things to fix that. And we just confess it and we repent of it. So that's the first thing we do. If you could go ahead to that next slide there. The second uh, move that we've got to make after we examine our broken wells is we have to come to Jesus as the only solution to our true need. We've got to come to Jesus as the only solution to our true need. That's what we're doing in prayer. And so um, a passage of scripture where we see this so clearly in the New Testament is in John chapter seven. So what's happening is Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what he's at. And this is a multiple day feast where people would come from all over, all over the area and would just fill the temple. So imagine the temple is just full. It's just you know brimming with people. And, and it's multiple days. In verse 37, it says this, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of what? Living water. I hope that sounds familiar to you. If you've been paying attention up to this point, it should sound familiar to you. If anyone comes to me and believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, if I could give you just a little bit of background, because this is really, if, if I can paint the picture for you, this is a really significant moment. So Jesus is in Jerusalem in the temple for the Feast of Tabernacles, and it says on the last and greatest day of the festival. Now, now, if I could describe for you what's happened in the festival so far is every single day of this Feast of Tabernacles, there's been a water ritual. That's, what there's, that's what's been happening. And so here's the water ritual. What's happening is all the people watch, the priests uh, would march in procession. They would take this very large golden vessel and they would march in procession to the pool of Siloam, which was right there in Jerusalem. And they would fill up this very large vessel and then they would march back in procession to the temple and they would march to the altar where all the sacrifices happened. And then what they would do while all the people were watching and while a choir sung Hallel Psalms is they would dump this huge vessel of water out on the altar. And so water would just like, you know, flow down the altar and would just flow in, in like rivers and streams. And the whole point of this, as people are watching this, it was supposed to remind them of how God had provided water for the Israelites in the desert for as, as they had flown, uh, fled from Egypt. It was also supposed to remind them of how God, it was like a way to say thank you to God for the way he provided rain for the crops and provided for them in this past year. Now, what would happen is on the last and greatest day of the festival, on the seventh day, the priests would do this for six days. And then on the seventh day, what they would do is they would literally do this seven times. Seven times while people are watching, they would march and they would fill up this giant vessel with water and they would dump it on the altar. So imagine Jesus is there. People are watching this. Water is just like gushing off the altar. Seven times they've emptied this giant uh, vessel and all this water is flowing. It's like on, you know, you're stepping in it. That's the moment at which Jesus stands up and in a loud voice, he declares, if anyone is thirsty, come to me, come to me. And he's, he's directly talking about Jeremiah 2.13, where God says, my people have committed two sins. They've turned away from me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug their own wells. And Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. I'm the fountain of living water. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is not saying, come to me because I have some water. He's not even saying, come to me because I have some better water than that water than the other water that you've got. That's not what he says. He says, come to me. I am the water. I am. He doesn't say, I have some answers. If you come to me, I, I have some answers to your problems. He, he's saying, I am the answer to your most ultimate problems, to your most ultimate needs. I am that water. I am the thing that will satisfy, and I'm the only thing. What we see in this passage is such a beautiful picture of how Jesus saves. When we talk about what it means to be saved, what it means to come to Jesus and, and to allow him to rescue us and, and salvation, th this passage paints that picture of, of the way in which he does that. So to illustrate it, like if, if someone is drowning in the water and literally they're going down, what you, what you don't do is you don't throw them a manual on how to swim and say, hey, read that. And then once you read that, you'll know how to swim and you'll be able to rescue yourself from drowning. Not helpful, right, if you're drowning. 
That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't like help us learn how to save ourselves. But a lot of people, that's how we pray. That's how we approach Jesus. That's what we think Christianity is. We think it's, you know, we're drowning and God's going to throw, you know, Jesus is going to throw us a manual. And if we just read it and if we work hard enough, we learn how to tread water and then we save ourselves. That's not the gospel. That's not the invitation Jesus made. The gospel is someone's drowning. Jesus is the rescue. He is the one who pulls us out of the water. Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrificial death that paid the price for our sins. And when he rose from the grave, he, he rose to give us new life in him. And he says, when you believe in me, that's what he says in this passage, I, I am the rescue. I am the living water. In springs of living water, you, you begin to have this abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit that, that begins to become this fountain, this spring of living water that flows out into every area of your life. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. We put our faith in him and he saves us. And that's ultimately what we need. What Jesus indicates that what we're doing in our spiritual lives when we come to him in prayer is we're turning away from our own broken wells. We're turning away from our own broken cisterns. We're acknowledging and saying, look, th these are the things I run to. These are the things that, these are the broken wells that can't hold water that I just keep returning to time and time again. And I've got them. You've got them. We've all got them. And what we're doing is, is we're learning with every step of our lives to, to turn to Jesus to come to him as the ultimate solution for all of our real needs and allow the Holy Spirit to begin flowing from within our lives. And so if that's what we're doing in prayer, if that's how we're approaching Jesus, uh, go ahead to that next slide if you will, then the goal of prayer actually is not answers. It's a surrendered life. The goal of prayer is not to come and give me the manual so I can learn how to swim. The goal of prayer is not answers. It's living a surrendered life so that he can do what he wants to do in our lives, so that he can have the authority, so that he can have the glory, and so that he can work how he wants to. That's what we're doing. So, so the question I'd ask you is, what are the situations in life that drive you to pray? What are the situations in your life that push you and drive you to where you know you need God in prayer? If you're like me, usually those situations are when I realize that the well I'm running to can't help me anymore. I'm sad to say that Jesus isn't always my first option. I'm a pastor and I say he still isn't always my first option. In 2015, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, it's like, if I could describe that time in my life, that may be a good way to describe it, would just say all the wells broke in my life. All the things I ran to, they didn't have answers. And after all, that is what we want, right? When we're suffering, we want answers. Or at least that's what we think we want. This past January, I found out that I was uh, no longer in remission and I had to go through first round of chemo treatment. What I have there is there's no, they say there's no cure for it, but they can treat it and treat it and treat it. And so um, it's this relation, this weird relationship where you kind of, you don't have answers. You live, you have to get comfortable with ambiguity all the time, you know? So I go in every six months for these scans. And even now, you know, going through chemo, I'm in remission, praise God, I'm in a good place. But there's always these questions that I wish I had answers to. How long? How long do I have before the next one? Uh, am I going to be able to handle the next one? I mean, there's all these answers we want when we suffer. And what 
Jesus actually gives us. Here's what I'm learning. Here's what I've discovered. And prayer has become my greatest weapon, my greatest tool in the battle. Because what, what Jesus gives us actually is not answers. What he actually gives us is something far better than answers. What he gives us is his abiding presence no matter what we go through. He makes us stronger. He doesn't just make us safer. I have four boys. They're all teenagers now. In fact, today is my, my son Aaron's 16th birthday. But um, when my boys were younger, they all went through this phase. And if you have kids, when you, you have a child, believe me, you're going to go through this phase as we are dedicating children. It's coming. They, they all went through this phase where they were like terrified of the dark. Uh, and so, you know, it's bedtime. It's time to turn off the light and go to bed. And they, you know, because when you turn off the light, there are all these questions in the dark, all these irrational fears come up. You know, what's, uh, what's in the closet? You know, what's under my bed? Uh, what, what made that noise out there, you know, in the hall or, or whatever? And so they have all the, these, these irrational fears and these questions that rise in the dark. And so my boys went through this phase where they were terrified. So I would go to turn the light off to say goodnight. And they would say, Dad, don't turn the light off. And then they would say, leave the light on. And Dad, stay here in the room. Well, the problem with that is if I leave the light on and I stay in the room, you're never going to go to sleep, right? You're just going to, because I'm just standing there and you're just going to keep awake and like none of us are ever going to get any rest in this house. And so here's what I did with my boys. Um, and you can take this as a, as a little, uh, you know, uh, an instructional if you want. Here's how I solved that problem with my boys. I gave them a choice. And here's the choice I gave them. I said, here's the deal. I can leave the light on for you, but I'm going to leave the room. So I'm going to leave the lights on. You'll be able to see what's in the closet. You'll be able to see what's under the bed. You'll be able to see what made the noise, but you're going to be alone in the room. I'm gone. Or I can turn the light off. It's going to be complete darkness in here, but I'm going to sit. I promise you, I'm going to sit right in that chair, right there by your bed until you're asleep. You know what they chose? 100% of the time, every single time I gave one of my boys that choice, what they chose was my presence in the room, even with the lights off. If you get it early, you can go to lunch early. See, our hearts know what we need, don't, don't they? What, what we need is not perfect answers. All the ambiguity in life gone. Every question, you know, perfectly answered so we, uh, so we know how to save ourselves. What we ultimately need is his abiding presence for him to be our true strength, our true salvation, no matter what comes at, at us. That's hope that is an anchor for the soul. That's hope that does not disappoint. That is true, real faith. And that's what Jesus wants us to have. That's what he wants to give us in prayer. That was his invitation when he stood up at the temple that day. So if you don't have answers right now to whatever it is that's running at you, whatever it's going through, it's okay. It's okay you don't have answers. Because what you have in him, if you come to him, if you're willing to come to him, is you have his abiding presence, which is way better. It's way better than any answer you're going to get on this side of eternity. He is with you. He, he's with you when the doctor doesn't have any more answers. He, he is with you when that business deal falls through and you don't know where the money's going to come from to fix, you know, the, all the bills you've got to pay. He is with you when your kids make decisions and you have no control anymore. 
He is with you. His abiding presence is with you. So here's what I'd love to do as we turn this toward ourselves, as we look at ourselves this morning. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? Everybody in the room, if you're watching online, I'd love for you to just lean in right now in this moment and participate with us. We talked about how we, we use prayer oftentimes as a, as a transition. And so instead, what I want to invite you to do is to pray. So the question that's going to be up there on the screen, I know your heads are bowed, so you're not looking at it, but the question is, what broken wells have you been trusting in? Instead of me praying, <laughs> I'm just going to give you some space right now, and I, I want to invite you to pray, to just go to God. And what you're doing is you're just lifting up before him. You're looking at it, and he's looking at it, the broken wells that you trust in. So right now you're just saying, God, I, you know, I've used the well of working harder, just trying to work harder. I've, I've used the well of wearing a better mask, trying to keep it, other people from seeing what's going on in my life. Maybe it's, I've been using people as a means to my own end. Maybe you're, even right now, the well you're lifting up is Jesus. I've used you as a means to my own end instead of really coming to you. Just lift that to him, whatever it is. for some of you in this room and watching online, you know the next step right now is to come to Jesus. So with, with your heads bowed, just still in a, in a posture of prayer. Um, I wonder, some of you, maybe you've come to church, maybe you've prayed, the, prayed before, maybe you've even um, tried to sort of check the spiritual boxes, but what you've never really done, you've asked Jesus to answer prayers, but you've never come to him as the answer. You've never just come to him and surrendered your life fully to him. The goal of prayer is not answers, it's a surrendered life. That's why what it means to be saved is we confess Jesus as Lord of our lives. We say, you can have it, I'm giving my life to you because you're the only one who can save. You're enough. So if that's you, I wonder if there's anyone in this room, would you just be willing to lift up your hand? And if you're online, you can let us know in the chat. Is there anybody today who's just saying, yeah, I, I know that's me today. I need to come to Jesus. Just lift your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Huh. So Jesus, right now, this is what we do, and I'm inviting you to do this. If you just raised your hand, or if you're in the posture of your heart, you know this. It. All you're doing is you're coming to Him. So you can pray with me. Jesus, we come to you right now. I come to you as the ultimate solution to every need of my life. Thank you. I, I confess that I've run to broken wells. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for my failures, for the ways I've, I've entrusted myself to other things that can't ultimately satisfy. And I, I just thank you, Jesus, for new life in you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave to give me new life in you. And I say yes to that new life in you. I say yes to a future in you and what you want to do. So Jesus, would you do it? Would you have your way? I surrender now to, to what you want and what you're going to do in my life so that you get all the glory. 
Would you just show us, Jesus, all of us, how to depend on you, how to truly turn ourselves over to you and allow the power of your Holy Spirit to be like a fountain of living water flowing out of our lives. We need it so desperately in our lives and in our world today. We ask this in the risen and resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said,